Welcome back to another episode of That's Business. Today's guest, Nick Wellam, is an experienced executive with a talent for uncovering the impact of culture, process, and technology on customer experience to drive organizational strategy and maximize profitability. Experiences include CXO leadership, business ownership, and consultative advising on operational excellence, FP&A, and technology strategy for $20 million to $1 billion national and international organizations in healthcare, wellness, life science, and legal. Nick drove a turnaround for a 35-location medical organization, architected and led a digital transformation from paper for a multi-state organization, and has M&A experience. Nick, thank you so much for finally being on the podcast. I said I'd bully you because we've been talking about this, what, for two years now? About Maybe two years. I mean, <laughs> you, you're bullying me about good stuff, right? So you got me posting on social media. That's a good thing. Um, so yeah, great to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm extremely excited to talk with Nick because we've actually been working together on some things for the Resume Rescue, and he's just been so transformational in helping us out. So before we dive into all of that, We're going to throw it back to childhood. What did you want to be when you grew up and what was your childhood like, if you feel comfortable telling us? Sure. Um, So as you can probably guess from the accent, I'm (laughs) not from around here, here being Michigan. I was born in London. I grew up in a series of small villages around an old Roman, well, old British town called Colchester. It's now a city. It was the original Roman capital of England. There was a Roman temple there that the natives burnt down, and there's a whole story around that. And then it also then had a Norman keep there, um, so it's surrounded by history. But I grew up in a village that had more sheep and pigs than humans. Wow. <laughs> I know that's my claim to fame, but anyway, so what do they want to be? Um, so it's frightening now because I grew up in the 80s, right, and that was 40 years ago. But when I was a kid, um, we used to read comics, and I always wanted to be a Spitfire pup. Because that was only 40 years before that. Mm-hmm. And that seemed, World War II seems a long time ago. Or a train driver, but a steam train driver. So neither of those panned out for me, but um, that's what I wanted to do. That's so interesting. Now, did you have a big personality difference? Because a lot of guests I've had on this podcast talk about they were very different as kids or kind of growing up. But what was the environment you grew up in, especially in a town that had more animals than people? It was not a town. It's flattering. I grew up in a little village outside village. the real town. So we had a bus every hour to the town. Oh. Um, yeah, sophisticated. Anyway, um, so yeah, probably similar, a bit geeky. Um, you know, I did pretty well at school um, until I got a little freedom. Uh, <laughs> used to love riding motorbikes and still do. Got a definite appreciation. I've fallen off many times. So some of the things that I, I did then I still love doing. Um, I was interested in computers as a kid and then became a software engineer. Still love riding motorbikes, starting practicing martial arts. It's been a theme through my life. Similar, I guess, um, probably more outgoing now. You know, when you start being around other humans, <laughs> you have to be. And I love that you just dropped martial arts and all these other cool things you, you've done for a lot of your life. And I don't remember the timeline. I know you've told me, but you went to college and then at what point in that transitional period when you moved to the United States and what was that? I don't want to jump ahead in the story, but went to college, software engineering, got into technical field. Talk us through that stage of your life, maybe in your late teens, early 20s. Okay. So I went to Bournemouth University on the south coast of England and uh, I went to study psychology, communication and computing. 
because I actually had a little bit of a kind of pushback. Didn't love doing computer stuff. Um, and I got really interested in psychology, specifically body language. And I know we're supposed to show our hands to show honesty, right? So I can too low. Um, but it just fascinated me. And so um, I studied essentially psychology, but we looked at things like, you know, how the computers mediate communication. So we're not in the same place. You can't see, you know, my whole body. You can't see my body language. It has an effect, right? You talk on the phone. We text each other. Miscommunication? Yes. I mean, that's why we have emojis and emoticons. Right, because we want to try and inject something in there. Oh, I'm joking. You know, this is my sarcasm, that kind of stuff. But we were talking about that kind of thing and what effect it had on the communication back in the day. Um, but had no idea that all this stuff would happen. Um, we got to email each other and do pretty cool stuff. So yeah, I left um, there and thought about going into the army as in the Royal Engineers. Unfortunately, I messed up my knee. Um, I had a bad knee and it just didn't work out well on the assault course. But that was very interesting. Then found a job working for digital equipment and I did a sales job. So I did cold calling and I'd done a few jobs like that before. Um, do not love it. So hats off to anybody who um, is a real quote, hunter in the sales terms. We all got made redundant after three weeks. And uh, I was really fortunate because I landed then, that was actually in Colchester, I landed a job in London working at a book publishers, had a lot of fun, had a highly inappropriate interview that would make people cringe these days. <laughs> Wait, I have to ask, I have to ask, you know, I'm going to, what did they ask you? <laughs> if you feel comfortable, but I got to know. I don't mind. So I sat down with the... Um, I think she was called the personnel director was her type. So you can see that, you know, we're going back a bit. And Dot was her name. And she said to me, so tell me about your situation. I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, are you married? Do you have a girlfriend? I'm like, oh, well, I just split up my girlfriend. She goes, we're 80% female here. I'm sure you'll find somebody. <laughs> so It's funny, but not funny. There's other companies, like I know Quicken Loans or Rocket and some of those, like they encourage you to date internally so if you work late hours because why people leave jobs is usually for the family or um, some of these like hunter sales jobs yeah so i had a friend work there and they're like oh no they encourage like to get your spouse involved work for the company or find someone there so you were together and didn't care about the late hours okay so the interview happens we get this job we liked it um decided with two friends we were going to go on a european tour on our motorcycles so the planning was really detailed. We went to the pub, I think, three times. Um, one of my friends, John, he was really into map reading. So we plotted out we were going to go to um, breakfast in Brussels, and we were going to go over to Prague, Vienna, and Venice in two weeks. Wow. We scaled it down a little bit, but end of the day, we, end, we did do breakfast in um, Brussels. We ended up in Prague, and I ran into a, a young lady from around here, West Bloomfield, and um, we met up again the next night. We kept in contact, and eventually one of us had to move. So I was in computers. We speak roughly the same language. And so I thought, well, I'll come over. It'll be easy, right? Apart from that immigration thing. <laughs> um, but I did uh, get a job in Chicago working for a trade show company doing their IT. Stayed there for about six months. Unfortunately, that didn't pan out. The guy who owned the company had grown up in Germany in well, early 40s and held some strong views that I found rather uncomfortable. So I uh, looked around for another position and uh, interviewed with two places. And one of them was Winston & Strawn, a big law firm. So stayed in Chicago and we lived there in total for about six or seven years. 
So I did a, a bunch of uh, software development for those guys. So I'd moved over from help desk to uh, kind of general support, Lotus Notes admin, and then I uh, was in software development back with Lotus Notes. So yeah, that's how I came to the States the first time. I don't think I realized you and Lainey met on your trip with your boys. I don't think I realized that. Yeah. Of course, you have one of those great stories, like the one in a million. What was this trip like for you and how old were you doing this? I mean, I feel like this is something a lot of people dream about. Take a trip with the buddies and go on it. But you actually did it, which is awesome. Um, Well, we had some good near-death experiences um, (laughs) that uh, everybody emerged unscathed, thankfully. That's good. One of the things that really stood out to me at the time was, what was this, 96 so we crossed over um, from what was East Germany into Czech Republic, and uh, we did not take the highway to Prague. We went through the back roads, and it was incredibly rural. I mean, it was like going back 40, 60, 80 years. Wow. Like, there was no modern stuff there, and kids would run past and point at us and like run along and try and keep up. It was like, wow, you know, it was like almost aliens coming in for them. Just amazing. And then we rode into Prague and we're like, well, why are we here? Because it's full of like, you know, concrete tower blocks mm-hmm. uh, from the communist era because it's been rebuilt. And we're like, ooh, right, this is a tourist destination until we got to the middle, the center, and it's beautiful. But um, it's just interesting. And then when we got to the hotel, the, guy, the um, concierge said, oh, well, do your bikes leak oil? And we're like, no. There's, oh, you can park them inside in the lobby. <laughs> okay. And we're like, great, we'll get stolen. Thank you very much. Right. <laughs> Fast forward, you're in Chicago. So we transitioned different career paths within IT, technical services and all. At what point were you thinking this is the route you wanted to go? Because I always laugh at what people's job titles are now. I mean, I didn't know as a kid, like what a freaking resume writer was or what a pod podcasting wasn't even a thing. It's so interesting of how these (laughs) different stories and situations and hey, moving halfway across the world kind of change you there. So from Chicago, when did we end up in Michigan? I started doing the software development, had a consultant there, was really helpful, awesome guy, and he taught me a lot. And then I started helping out other people who were doing similar things that I was doing on the admin side and similarly getting frustrated that you have to do the same thing 52 times. It's like, there's got to be an easier way. And uh, I was like, well, how about this? How about that? And so I started building up a team around me. We helped out the firm's largest client and... I got enough brownie points after I got homesick to say, you know what? I did a little research first. Um, but basically, I, I showed my boss I invited him out for a beer that he eventually ended up paying for anyway. Nice. And more. Uh, I said, you know, you, you're basically underserving the European community because we had offices in London, Paris, Geneva, and Moscow. And you have no sport out, you know, no true IT people. So what you need is a European IT manager. They're going to be based in London, and you're looking at him. And credit to Chip, awesome guy. He went, okay, and he made it happen. However, the day I accepted and, and we negotiated and they gave me basically what I wanted, um, what more can I ask? Come back and I make, this is my story and so I'm, I'm putting it on record is that I accepted this and then I uh, went home and found out that my wife was pregnant. <sighs> Surprise! Right. <laughs> yeah. So really scary time for Lainey and you know, big turmoil and you know adapting to a new country and we moved over and I was very fortunate that... Um, old friend of mine, I, I flew over to look for houses and he took me around and I thought I knew where I wanted to live, but he actually pointed me uh, back in an area called Greenwich in London and a uh, great place to be. And somehow I think we ended up in the only kind of tower um, flat 
you know, apartment building um, that had a doorman. And so when my in-laws came over, they were like, well, you have a doorman, it's good, you know, they're going to look after my daughter. And so it was okay. <laughs> it was acceptable. Yes. So, yeah, so I spent two years traveling around Europe and that was kind of part of the problem is I, you know, should have thought this one through that if you're going to be a European IT manager, you got to travel, yes. Go to work and come back home. Um, so I spent a lot of time on the Eurostar, got to go on the TGV, which is kind of a cool experience, 180 miles now on the train. It's totally different from flying. And yeah, spent time in Geneva and Paris and uh, almost got to go to Moscow, but didn't. Favorite place you've traveled to? I used to love going to Greece when I was a kid. <sighs> Loved it. So I know this sounds really exotic because we're based here, but it's almost like going to Florida for people in Michigan, you know, because you have more holiday, more vacation time in, in Europe. So we would go to Greece in the spring and I always used to get horrifically burnt. But when that didn't happen, beautiful, it's like, you know, 80 degrees and sunny and beautiful beaches. And my dad uh, used to be a classics teacher. So he thought, I'll learn modern Greek. It's going to be very similar to ancient Greek. And it's really not. Well, Pat Turb has done it, um, and but we used to go in the middle of nowhere, and we would get these old women coming out, like give us a little rub on the head oh. and giving us an orange. And we had a guy we were driving around, and he, my dad asked directions, and uh, he basically opened up his Tavernes restaurant for us and served us lunch. Out of a movie, like any movie in Greece, I swear that's awesome. And something I learned because I think I shared this with you. I have family in Italy, and my cousin actually lived here. I'm actually sitting at his desk when he lived with me. I didn't realize how cheap it is to travel country to country in Europe. Or he's like, "Oh, Angela, it's so cheap. It's so cheap." And he was one that's full of crap, but I love him to death. One of those, but I'm like, I can't believe how reasonable it is to travel country to country. Yep. I mean, it depends how you fly, right? I mean, there's right. a, a range of options, but if you go somewhere like Ryanair and you basically, you'll pay for any, you know, breathing the air on the plane. Right. Um, but yeah, you can fly for 50 quid, 75 bucks, 80 bucks, or, you know, dirt cheap. Now, put your luggage on. I mean, uh, everybody's charging us for that right. these days, but mm-hmm. it's still relatively inexpensive. And like I said, I mean, the perception is it's almost like flying to Florida. Right. So lived in England. We're back there. Did we have daughter yet or not yet? Or how long were you over there? So we lived there for two years. Charlie was born after a couple of months. Awesome little dude. So proud of him now. He's, he's applying to all kinds of places. I'm in awe. Anyway, um, I also remember this little crazy guy used to crawl around chase, chase pigeons. <laughs> <laughs> so Charlie was born there. And then we had a, an offer we couldn't refuse um, from my father-in-law. <laughs> Basically, he and his friend had founded medical weight loss client Kira Rishki. My brother-in-law had joined the company and um, he was pushing for them to computerize. So in 2007, they had no computers outside main office and it ran well and they were a successful business. Now, it seems really surprising, but empires have been run on lifts, right? You know, and how calculators had fax machines. And I'll talk a little bit more about it in a minute. It was an interesting transition. Anyway, so um, they were interested in what I could do. They tried to computerize before that had failed and they said, come and join the business. And, you know, if you want to be a part of the law firm business, you really need to be a lawyer. Um, they have a different model now in the UK, but so I was like, great, let's talk, you know, what can happen here. I um, handed in my notice, we packed up, um, found out that my wife was pregnant and we flew back <laughs> to the US and landed in Michigan. And um, yeah, it was uh, 
kind of strange being back. So kind of bouncing, flipping, you kind of get culturally confused about everything and how you do things. And so I remember like one of my first experiences was uh, I got a laptop order, sat down and I asked the office manager, I said, you know, where's the network, Jack? And she said, I don't know, you're the IT guy, you tell me. <laughs> I come from an IT department, you know, that's worldwide, 24, 730 people. I'm like, wow. okay, I, I've taken a big bite here, better chew on, swallow and push through this. So we looked around, we, we basically tried to find an EMR that would be um, accessible to people who, some of them never, literally never use computers. And this is 2007 you're talking about. Yeah. It's not that long ago. Yeah. No, I mean, they never used them at work because we didn't have them. Right. You know, we had a fantastically loyal um, workforce. Some of them have been working there for 20 years. So it's not like they used them before or not. And so we had to find something that was accessible. Um, we had to find something that was very focused just on the weight loss bariatric industry. We couldn't find it. So it's like, okay, well, you're a software engineer. Build. So we did. And so started, tried to figure out what we had to do. So it was an interesting experience in terms of balancing people's expectations. So one partner was like, you know, get it done, you're wasting money. I had another partner who was, in fact, he said, well, why can't you go to Best Buy and just put them on the desk? I'm like, yes, but then what? <laughs> that doesn't help. Not just the solution, right? Right. Yeah. That's the simpler part. You know, one partner who is like, would be excited if they could see the money ticking up during the day, which I totally get. Right. <laughs> it's a great, wonderful situation if you can be there. And one partner really understood, you know, what was going on. So it was, it was a question of balancing expectations. And I didn't want to just put the computer on the desk because it also then interrupts everybody's workflow. So you've got people who, you know, have never used computers. We have to train them how to use mice. And the interesting questions, which is like, I've got to the edge of the mouse pad. What do I do? It's, I just. And it's intuitive to us. And maybe, you know, it's funny. I watched my daughter when she was about three or four, when she was poking at an old smartphone and she said, it's not working. I'm like, it's not a touchscreen. And she'd come look what? Huh? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's it fascinating. We ended up building a, an enterprise resource planning system, essentially, rather than just a medical record system, and built a team around me, had some really talented uh, network engineers and software developers, and we pushed through, and we basically were able to migrate people who had legitimate concerns about, like, um, what, how do I do this? I'm not sure I can do this. What, what impact will it have? You know, there were certain concerns about, oh, you're going to be monitoring me now. Well, yes, but no. There was interesting um, business results that I alluded to earlier. The old system was you wrote down all your numbers, you faxed them midday, end of day, and you had that sense of accountability. And so you had to fax your stuff off to your supervisor. The supervisor would have to go through out the numbers and then fax them back. If there was any kind of like, you know, issue there, they'd it reverse the chain, right? And then it bails back up with hopefully the right answer. But it was interesting to see that the change when you went to computerized and you, you know, initially you had to push a button and then you didn't have to push a button. And the level of accountability changed because it was removed. You didn't, it was almost like signing for something. You know, you were signing for your day's work when you wrote it down and faxed it off. And uh, we had to really push, you know, and, and figure out what we were going to do to build that accountability back in. This sounds like a lot to take on. Of course, building this from nothing and just to computerize and automate a whole business. How long did this transformation take and how did you manage to keep your patience? I know you are a lot more patient than I am, but even just simple questions when, you know, my grandmother calls me or my mother calls me and they're like, how do I do this? I'm like, just do it this way. 
So for you to do that for a whole organization, for so many employees and going from literally nothing to a brand new system and things you don't think about, I mean, how to use a mouse, it's crazy. So how long did that take? Uh, a long time. We started in 2007. Okay. We probably had most of the clicks done by 2012, 13, somewhere around that time, you know, actually rolled out. And then we started looking at voiceover IP and, and what we could do with that and integrating it so that when patients called, their record would pop up or when we advertised that we knew that you saw the advert in this month's edition of like Save Oil Red Plum. And so we could source advertising. So it never really stopped. There was more stuff to do. Patients-wise, I don't know. I, I worked on the help desk for a long time, right? And I've done tech support for my mom and my mother-in-law. So here's the key for that one. Train up your kids. You need to, you know, don't adopt a kid to take the course. <laughs> I actually took my son out and my mother-in-law has two laptops and yeah, they were identical. We went through and we set up, which I think was a great experience for him. And now he does some of the tech support, which is brilliant. Oh, <laughs> so smart. Yes. I had a great team around me. I had a wonderful trainer. She's very, very patient. I, everybody was very set on the purpose of like, okay, well, look, I know you're scared, but this can actually be better for you. And this is why. And so we really tried to figure out, you know, what's in it for you? You know, why would I want to do this? Because with any change management, I mean, humans are like water, right? We flow in the easiest direction. You know, it's just the way we are. Now, if you're going to say to me, Nick, you can do your job and get paid the same and put in the same amount of effort, or you can do this job differently, get paid the same and put in, you know, 20% more effort, which one will you choose? So you, you have to figure out what's in it for you. And people will put in more effort. I think almost everybody comes to work wanting to help other people to do better, to contribute, to be heard. So if you can figure out how to connect the strategic goal back down to, you know, at the micro level, of if I do make this change, what will the impact be? Yes, maybe I'll have to do more work, but actually if I can help out somebody else, well, we can make a better impact, then I will do it. Great. Just need to keep reinforcing. It's a good thing. In fact, yes. it's change management in, in essence, and it's real cool. Well, in just the small things, I mean, I honestly didn't appreciate it until owning this business. And it's like, oh, you don't have an IT team anymore to help out. I mean, just the automations or like the voiceover internet phone or VoIP as we talk about. But when we implemented that, I'm like, this is crazy. I can't believe we have this. I have a whole different line that it goes to my cell phone and goes in my CRM. And this is cool. So I have so much respect for anyone that does these change management activities. And I mean, really transforms organizations to make it so easy. So if you're listening to this and you work for a large corporation, that's pretty tech savvy. Appreciate it because it's a lot. So we're in 2012. We do this transformation. In that time period, when did you have the idea to start your own business or do C-Link Consulting? So we had a, a generation transition, unfortunately, and my father-in-law and his best friend passed away around that time. Oh. My brother-in-law and I started a uh, energy company. It was like Pop Rocks with energy. So it was called InstaBoost. And it was really interesting. I mean, he had a great idea. We saw a company came in. We could get all kinds of people coming to us saying, hey, try this protein bar. Try this shape. Try this and the other. Some of it honestly tasted like cardboard. Some of it was great. <laughs> so um, we had a company come in and they had two separate products. And one of them was an energy um, powder that you put in and you stirred up and you drank. And, you know, it gets into conversations about like who's lugging around water bottles, how do you pour it in, how is it shaped, that And the other was a Pop Rocks vitamin. He said, well, can you combine those? And they were like, I don't know. And so we, we worked with them for a while. There was a few issues. Learned a lot about kind of whole new range of things. 
So first of all, the kind of the pop rocks thing, that apparently they, they compress it in carbon dioxide. And so it's, oh. it's compressed. It's, made, it's very hard to, you know, we looked into who can do this. And so we used to buy it from Canada. It was a new formulation. So we were like, well, okay, where do we want to do it? Well, where are people taking energy drinks from? Gas stations, supermarkets, you know, grocery stores. And so we eventually formed a partnership with Maya um, and they had us in 50 something, 60 stores. We were in some gas stations. Learned a lot about like kind of shelf life, you know, about things like well, what happens if somebody steals your product? Valid. You know, who pays for that? Actually, you can, you basically can take on almost an insurance policy with the grocery store to cover loss and damage. And then you start thinking about package design. Okay, well, you know, if I put my stuff on your shelf, how does it look? How easy is it for the shelf stack to open up? And as a former shelf stacker, I can tell you, you want minimal hassle. <laughs> so, yeah, really interesting experience. Well, at the end of the day, what I learned was that while we've been selling this and the clinics have been doing well, the difference was education. There's no way a gas station attendant is going to say, well, tell me more about like, you know, when you have a slump or, you right. know, what are, you, what are your goals here? It's like, you want it? Great. You don't? Okay. No problem. <laughs> you know? So... I learned more about entrepreneurship when I did my executive MBA, but you know, one of the things was market research and customer discovery, and we didn't do it. So I think we came out, perhaps even, perhaps not, um, <laughs> but it was a very interesting learning experience, if not an expensive one. So, I'm learning so much about you, and I talk to you, I feel, every week, but I'm just learning more and more about you as this podcast goes on. It's interesting, too, as you're talking through this, you're, I just feel like you're like, yeah, I just took on this new adventure. Yeah, I just moved. Yeah, I just did this. No problem. I like the cool, calm, collected I feel that you are. Can't cry over spoiled milk. So. Right. You can't. Um, I led a turnaround on medical weight loss and then sold out my interest at the end of 17, started sealing. And I was in the middle of doing my executive MBA. And uh, I think everybody at work uh, kind of breathed a sigh of relief because I'd come back on Monday, just like a Friday night, Saturday, every second weekend over at Michigan State. And um, you absorb all the stuff and I'd be like, oh my goodness, like, you know, this is awesome. And I think everybody else was, but I was in the dangerous position of being the CEO. And so we would come back and oh my goodness, what's he going to talk about? <laughs> but, you know, we should do this. Oh, that's great, Nick. You know, but they were very tolerant kind. So it was very interesting to actually put theory into practice, but um, I sold out my interest and then I started um, my now company, Sealink Consulting then. And initially it was around cultural change and got a great appreciation for cultural financial modeling. I started learning more about some of the things I'd put into place in terms of like meetings and decision-making and how you do change management that I kind of latched onto and learned, but never really understood how it hung together. So I was lucky in terms of I managed to do it right, but I was lucky not um, planned if you put it in exactly the same right way. So started looking around, worked, I still do work occasionally with companies around cultural change, around purpose and values and behaviors. I think that in some degree, the whole kind of culture thing has died down a little or become more mainstream, certainly less of a, you know, hype, you know, think about the Goldman Heights hype where everything's like, oh my goodness, everybody's got to do it. And so people start paying lip service to it at least. And, and the best companies actually figured out that purpose was about how does your organization help other people and change their lives? What are the values that your team needs to uphold to do a good job? And what are the behaviors that you see in the, in the organization that link to those values? And if you do all that stuff, you can have a highly motivated and excited workforce who 
going to be able to make decisions. And so linking it back to decision-making, I always use this analogy. I'm a bad bowler. Purpose is your pins. Your um, values are your bumpers. And at the end of the day, if you can say to your team, go bowl, keep it in your lane, hit the pins, I don't care how you bowl. You can throw it between your legs. You can throw it overhead. You know, as long as it stays in the lane and you get that objective, then we're all good, right? And so then you give your team a lot more autonomy to do what they need to do because they're upholding your values and getting the job done in the right way. And where do you think the organizations that feel, oh, we've always done it this way, or it's worked for us, we've been in business 50 years, and why do we need to change, and whatever, everyone's replaceable, and kind of that old school mentality. How do you get through, let's say you have a potential client that's interested, getting some backlash from stakeholders, whatever that may be, but how have you gotten through, or maybe you have an example of a tougher client that you were able to make this huge transformation with, culture change? Well, I love that. So if you like that and you want to cha- you know, challenge me, give me a call. If you like that and you want to change, um, then give me a call anyway. But um, this is when I go, ding, yes. I'll give you uh, an example um, back at Miracle Weight Loss. Um, we used to give everybody a lab. And so we spent a lot of money on that. And when I looked at you know the financial side and looked at our cash flow, the question is, should we be doing this? And so there was a concern within the leadership team that we wouldn't be seen as medical without it. Fair enough. I get that. I said, okay, go think about it. You know, how long do you need? And this, well, give us like three weeks. We'll, we'll come back. We talked it through. And I talked about the dynamics and we talked about the fact is we had some people who were following a diet and there were some people who, who had some real, you know, valid medical concerns. Well, they have a lab. If you had one kidney, um, Maybe you had HIV or maybe you had cancer, then yes, a lab. You know, you've got to have a lab. If you're doing a certain specific diet that put more pressure on your kidneys, do a lab. But for most people, there were healthy people who had a few pounds to lose or quite a lot of weight, but still essentially healthy people. So they came back and they said, yeah, that's okay. We're okay. We're behind that. But go talk with the medical director, see what he says. Okay, no problem. Um, so I went up and spoke to a medical director. And in the end, he said, well, yeah, I never wanted to do this. It's a liability. Oh. <laughs> because if you have information, and this is kind of relevant about somebody's health and you don't take action on it, you're essentially being liable. And so we had to make sure that every single lab was correctly read. And the more you read, I mean, essentially, there's always some level of error. No process is perfect, but there's always some level of error. So being able to focus on the people who really needed this and then we'd always had trouble recruiting medical staff, so NPs, PAs, RNs, and so on, and MAs. That was really a problem. So we needed less medical staff. The real trick was making sure that the people who were left felt that they were valued and had an important role to play, which they did. Um, but we saved a lot of money. Um, we probably say $200,000 that way. Wow. Something that's saying that change, I mean, that does make a huge difference. Jeez. Well, and the other side of it is think about it as a potential patient. Right. You know, you're coming along, think about the customer experience. If I was uh, going on a diet and uh, debate whether I should or not, but um, so what am I going to worry about? I'm going to worry about being hungry. So what's the first thing I'm going to experience? I'm going to be told, hey, Nick, starve yourself, and then we're going to poke you with a needle. That doesn't sound fun. Right. Right. But, I mean, that's what it is. But there's all kinds of stuff. I mean, I see this actually a lot in, in medical settings. So if you go for your annual physical, think about this one. You go along, and I assume that most doctors do it this way. But you go, you have your physical, and then they send you off to get your blood drawn. 
Okay, well, hold on. Shouldn't we be discussing the results of my blood draw and my annual physical? Mm-hmm. You know, it's just thinking about things in a different way. When people say, this is the way we've always done it, tell me more about that. Do you actually know why you do it that way? And often they don't, and they just go, oh, that's the way we've always done it. Great. Why? Okay, the skip to we don't know. Well, how else could we do it? Uh-huh. Oh, you do know why. Great. Tell me more about that. Okay, that you know, maybe that's reasonable and valid. Is it still valid? Because what was decided 50 years ago in your example, probably the dynamics have changed in some shape or form. So, yeah, these are wonderful opportunities. I mean, like if you go through and think about the way you've always done things in your business. I listened to a podcast and they said, what you should do is if you take your task list and you get through it and you look every quarter and you say, well, I didn't do this, should it still be on your task list? There's a very good reason not to, because every time you look at that task list, you've got to reevaluate that thing. And especially if you hadn't done it in like two or three quarters, get rid of it. It's clearly not important. If you feel bad about throwing out the thing just in case, archive it, but get it off the list. Because every time you review that list, you're using mental energy to look at every single item and think about it. There's so many technology tools you can use now, and you could do sprint boards, and you could do whatever Kanban style of, hey, this is priority, this is later. And I'm lucky that I, like Nick, that you also know, he helped us with that. And now working with you has been even incredible. And that's what I really want to dive into. But there's so many things. And I think as business owners, or if you're a part of a large entity, you know what you know, and you don't know what you don't know. And just hiring someone like you I mean, this tiniest little changes compound to make such a big impact at the end of the year. Where do you want to be this time next year? So I think it's really interesting. And I think for what we're doing, financial modeling, it's a vulnerable process. I mean, I kept saying, don't judge me. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. And you have been just so instrumental to help. And I will say I'm, I'm pretty good at culture, so I don't need you for that. But yeah. the other pieces and what I want to dive into next is what other services do you offer or what are some of your other key accomplishments you've achieved thus far? Sure. Um, well, it's been a real pleasure working with you and your team. So you got the culture right. And I'll plug you. If you haven't met Angela or worked with her, you should. Thanks. My pleasure. So I'm a fractional COO CEO. So I've done some interim roles, but on a day-to-day basis, I do a lot of work around, as you said, financial modeling, financial health checks. You know, Do you have KPIs around your business? Do you know how to positively impact Does your team know that they have agency around what changes they can make to their practices that will improve the business? Do you know which customers are your best customers and and why? Do you know what the impact is of getting rid of the customers who always complain and never add anything and always ask for a bit more and don't want to pay their bills? I do a lot of work around workflow. So what's happening? What's the process? Why are we doing this kind of stuff? Um, Going back to that's the way we've always done it. Really? Why? I help out in strategic planning. So this is a really fun project. Okay, so where are you now and where do you want to be in five or 10 years? Okay, great. So if I'm working with the owner or the CEO, what's your vision? Great. What does that look like for your employees? Why are they going to get excited about being here? What's in it to drive them and help you drive this business forward? What about your customers? I mean, we all want to double sales. But the truth is, if it was that easy, if we could all sprinkle the magic pixie dust on there, well, then we'd be sprinkling, right? (laughs) Yes, we would. So why does it look different for your customers in 10 years? So then we figure out what are the problem domains that we need to overcome to get you there? 
And sometimes there's a degree of overlap. And then we start really digging down into those problem domains. And we use a technique, uh, it's called kinetic. And we look at how they spiral out in terms of constructors and constraints. So what are the constraints that are holding you back? And what are the constructors of those constraints? What makes them happen that's getting in your way? We start attacking those. And we start attacking those in the order that we plot out on a time energy graph. And uh, I think it's incredibly important to know where you want to go how you're going to get there, what do you have to do, engaging the team on that, but then also when you plot out the time energy, what is traditionally called low-hanging fruit, so it's on the bottom left of your uh, diagram, they call it high velocity. There's also another key area on the top right, high time, high effort, and it's called counterfactual. Ain't going to happen. So I worked in a startup that was trying to petition the CMS for a, um, a rules change which would take two to three years, and they had eight months of funding. Oh, no. That's not going to work. Well, I mean, in the end, stuff worked out for them. I don't think that changed. But the thing is, where's your time and effort best spent, right? Because it's all a limited supply. So how do you move things forward? Where it's nudging them, and then how do you nudge them? I mean, there are things out there that you can do business-wise that change, but you really need to then think about, is it a micro-nudge where you just do something right, just a little something, and it can have a cascading impact. Or is it what I'd call a micro-negotiation? So thinking about who are the players in this, right? Who are the supporting cast? Who's the supporter? Who are the saboteurs? What are their um, predispositions? What's in it for them, right? And what are the changes? How do we get them to do that using coordination? So thinking about how do you get positive intent and there's seven types. So how do we really essentially set it up for success. That leads me into something else I do, which is RevOps. So looking at, okay, so you're, you're advertising marketing. Fantastic. How do you measure that? What are the steps? Do you actually have KPIs? Does your marketing company tell you um, what's going on? How do you see that coming down? You've all seen the Google AdWords, uh, the Sankey diagrams, where it kind of narrows off and branches out. How do you get to goal? Um, and when you plot it that way, how does it look? And then how much is it costing you? When you look at your advertising budget, and I've spent a lot of money on awareness, right? Um, a lot of money. What did it get me? And how do you make sure that that branch basically stays ideally consistent, but that's not realistic. But how do you make it bigger at the end of the tunnel? And what does it cost you to basically sit down with a customer and go, these are my products and services versus what you're actually selling? So interesting stuff. Um, but then in each stage, what's the customer process? So you've got things like research, like I think I'm in the market for this. I'm going to go out and look, you know, how do you satisfy the customer need then? What about the next step, which may be booking something or um, putting something in your car? What do I need to know? You need to boil the frog effectively to answer the customer's questions so they don't leap out, right? You can't expect somebody to go, I'm amazing. And you go to my website and you buy everything. <laughs> the dream. Once again, it's, it's our pixie dust. Right. Where's that pixie dust? We need to find it, right? Oh, I'm still looking. I'll let you know. I just don't know where to start with how to explain what you do for the financial modeling rev ops that we're working on together. But from my point of view, Nick and I were actually just getting coffee. We were in a networking group together, wanted to meet more, um, learn each other's business. And I was like, oh, wait, I don't do anything that you are talking about and I need someone like you. And I didn't know where to start because financials are a very scary, vulnerable thing. Yeah. But the beautiful thing that Nick created, I just am forever amazed at the work, the magic, the pixie dust you do in Excel. 
But looking at everything from how long does it take you to send out a proposal? How long does it take for you to follow up? I mean, things I know I wasn't thinking about and I know a lot of my entrepreneur friends aren't thinking about. I mean, yes, the old adage of time is money and opportunity costs and basic economics, but what does that actually mean for your business? So I want you to walk through the process and you can, you are more than welcome to use me as an example. You have free reign to do that. But how you work with companies because everyone needs you and this, especially for RevOps. So how did you do this and what's the process of how you work with clients? Sure. So as you may have got from my background, I love a good problem. Right? I love solving yes. things. Um, so this is fun to me. And it's kind of geeky fun. I mentioned it's still a geek, right? <laughs> um, so basically, we're looking at a set time period. And you're right. I mean, financials are scary, right? Nobody wants to look at their financial situation and make tough choices. I mean, that's why we, we employ people to do it, financial advisors. The question is, what are you going to get? And I'll get to that. What period do you want to analyze? Are we looking at like the last three months? Are we comparing this year and last year? And it really depends on the state of your business. So if you have a business like yours, Angela, that's growing significantly, it becomes you know, much less valid to compare years because you've grown significantly, which is fantastic. But if you have a, a fairly stable business, then we're, we're talking a year-to-year kind of thing. And what we're doing is really, you know, part of it is, is financial education. So you know, I didn't really know this stuff before I did my MBA despite running a business. And I also didn't um, appreciate certain things like cash flow. You know, where is your money tied up? You know, we all have accounts where, you know, there's payables in there or we're figuring out like, well, the electricity bill is due, you know, whether it's personal or business, I need to put some money somewhere, whether it's mentally allocating the funds in your current account or you have a specific payables account, you're doing this stuff and there's money tied up in your business. There's also money that you owe that you haven't paid. And so, you know, you need to know what the cash conversion cycle is and how you reduce that. And that's a combination of your AR accounts receivable, your accounts payable, uh, and your work in progress. But we're really trying to understand what's happening to your business financially. You know, what's the delta between then and now? What's the direction? And breaking it down. So what does it mean when we're talking, you know, costs or expenses and what is profit? You know, I've sat there and I've looked at P&Ls and gone, oh, great, the revenue's up. And a lot of people judge their business by revenue. You and I have had a conversation about that. And uh, my response to you is, it doesn't matter what your revenue is. It matters what the profit is, right? Um, right. I, I would much rather have a $1 million business that's making a healthy profit than a $100 million business that's losing money. Now, true, it's potential there. But- right. So the question is, where's your cash going and how much money is tied up in the business? So, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, we, we walked through this, we talked about, you know, where the money is. We then talked about, you know, how can you make changes? So I call it pulling the seven levers. One of the changes we made was to the accounts receivable. I think we reduced that by over 80%. So we've reduced the cash conversion cycle. You know, ideally um, for a business, you want to be in a, a negative cash conversion cycle, which means that you get your money before you have to pay your bills, which is all good until you stop producing. Right. <laughs> but what you don't want to be is in a situation where there is a massive receivable cycle, because in general, further out receivables go less likely people are to pay them. Um, you've also paid your people and you're basically paying interest on that money whether it's money that you can't use to reinvest in the business and drive it forward, whether it's money you borrow from the bank and that's just a 10, 14, whatever percentage it is these days, it's not cheap. So if you can reduce that, 
you can either then take that money and reinvest it in the business to drive growth or realize some profit. And it's just small changes in like the AR piece of it. We met in person, myself and my two employees, and you challenged us to say, okay, how do we solve this? Or like the A, B, and C customer piece that we still use to this day. And it's just such a small change, but I mean, our AR has stayed so low because of it. And it's been a lot less stressful rather than like, oh, shoot, payroll's coming out or this is happening because we have the money up front now. And, you know, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, well, that sounds so silly, Angela, why wouldn't you just catch that? But you need an outside perspective. And at least I know I do this because I'm so I'm in it all day, every day. I mean, it's my freaking life inside of work, outside of work, every facet. But doing what you do and the fact that you love to problem solve because this stuff stresses me the heck out. So, so thankful for you and you being realistic and challenging us because one of our goals for this year is we'd like to double our revenue from what we did last year and the projections you did of, okay, well, how are we going to get there based on your service offerings, based on what you're going to do? I'm like, I don't know how to crunch these numbers. I don't know where to start. And you coming up with a, okay, you honestly could, and this is how you do it. And this has been huge and something we're still working on, but I feel so I I I'm sleeping better at night. My anxiety's down from this, but it's something I feel a lot of, especially small business owners, stress about and just hire you. You are well worth the money. Like for sure. I will say it till I'm blue in the face. Sorry to go on the tangent, but we're in 2024. What exciting things are you looking forward to or that you can share with us for your business? Um well, I'm working with great companies. Thank you. Thank you. I have an exciting can't say partnership because that has legal conversations, but relationship with Sandler Training. Um, love those guys. Um, we have a, a bunch of existing clients. And then I've also been doing some work in the environmental space. So fascinating company based in Chicago called Microcycle. And they use the mycelium. It's the root network of mushrooms. And if you guys go, oh, I know what mycelium is. I, I just thought they came in a punnet in the supermarket, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that's how they That's right? the fruit. Um, but it's the root network that comes out first. And the fruit comes when the root network thinks it's running out resources. And that's a stress sign. And then it's, anyway, so they are using the mycelium to break down gypsum board, the drywall. And they can break down rubber tires and plastics and all kinds of stuff into raw materials. So it's been a fascinating and Wonderful learning experience. Also talking with a more local company and working with them um, fast, and they have a fantastic uh, water filtration system. And it can extract 90% of the water from things like um, caustic paint baths, oil well heads. And the water comes out actually better usually than the utility water. So they, they're part of the circular economy. And so the fascinating stuff like recycling and reuse, I mean, the ultimate goal is, and certainly fast is starting to realize this with auto manufacturers, that you can literally take away your wastewater as long as it's consistent, you know, consistent nastiness. So it can be hot, it can have a very wide pH range. But if it's consistent, they can extract the bad stuff and feed back the good water into your supply. So they can reduce, you know, they're essentially water as a service. They can reduce the water load by 90%, can have a significant impact in companies that don't have sewage or can't put the waste down there so you can pack the waste. And also for companies that can't open because water's scarce. So we've been having some very initial conversations with companies in Mexico where they can't open because there's not enough water. But if you only use 10% of the water, now we're talking a different story. So fascinating. Wow. You just really are all over with the types of businesses you work with. And I think that's the best possible thing. As we wrap this up, what advice do you have for listeners? 
Oh, gosh. Um, so we talked about this briefly. So I could talk for hours about decision making. So have a plan. Uh, make some kind of plan. Set a goal, tangible goal. You know, we'll hit a smart goals. Do something around that. Where do you want to be? And then backtrack it. Um, in terms of listeners who are running businesses and running meetings, I'm going to say, think about how you're running meetings. Um, there's lots of great ways to run meetings. Um, there's also lots of bad ways. But the question is, um, when you sit around the room and you look at all the people there and the talent they have and they want to contribute, how are you bringing that out? And how much is it costing you for you to run the meeting and you to make all the decisions? Because you're wasting their talent and they're not going to stick around either. So really think about drawing out opinions from everybody in the room, even the quiet ones who've got a lot of good stuff to say. Think about whether when you come up with a solution, whether you're satisfying. So good enough, right? No, not good enough. Um, don't settle for second best solutions for your business. Think about multiple alternatives, um, especially for bigger decisions. Draw out everybody in the room. And then um, there's a way to get everybody on board. It's called qualified consensus. And it's a way for you to keep control to get everybody's opinion in the room. And if you want to learn more about that, I can talk to you about decision-making and delegation, and we can set up your team for success. Amazing. Nick, this has been a blast. I've learned so much more about you. Excited to continue working together. Those of you listening, if you want to follow Nick, connect with him on LinkedIn or work with him, head to the show notes and tune in again next week for another episode of That's Business. If you're looking for a career change and you're not sure where to start, the Resume Rescue can help. Sure, there's no such thing as the perfect fit for everyone, but here at the Resume Rescue, we're on a mission to find the perfect solution for you. Whether it's changing careers, updating a resume, learning LinkedIn, or practicing interviewing, we have you covered. Find us online at theresumerescue.com and find all of our contact info in our show notes.